Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for January 26th. I'm Melissa Davlin. This week, Dr. Walter Kelly, medical officer for the American Red Cross, Lewis and Clark, and Arizona regions, joins me to discuss the emergency blood shortage affecting Idaho and the rest of the nation. But first, that shortage is a key reason the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare reactivated crisis standards of care for three public health districts in southern Idaho on Monday. Those districts cover 18 counties, starting at Adams and stretching down to the Magic Valley and Minicaja. This activation is different than the Delta-driven surge in the fall when hospital capacity was a key factor. Hospitalizations are rising, but what's putting so much strain on the healthcare system right now is a combination of the blood shortage, as well as healthcare workers getting sick with the Omicron variant. In a Tuesday media call, Elke Schatz-Hullock, administrator for IDHW's Division of Public Health, told reporters that the state has assembled a task force to tackle the issue. So what we did is tried to kind of collect our partners, if you will, really rapidly on Friday to have that initial conversation, brought in American Red Cross partners to the table initially to, to better understand what was going on. I mean, hands down, a very top issue for them that they're facing across the nation is that staffing shortage um, because it has that cascade effect across the whole system if you will, from the donation to the, the processing to the transportation, all of that, that I was talking about earlier. Um, that's only a piece of it. That was our initial step. And so we're expanding. And, and American Red Cross supplies approximately 40% of the blood, blood products across the U.S. And then um, we also, through conversations with our healthcare partners, uh, learned of another company called Vitalant. Um, that p- provides um, blood supply pro- or blood products to northern Idaho. And I had mentioned, and you can see it in the, the chat too, when I was talking about um, donating, there's a company, um, excuse me, called America's Blood Centers that Vitalant is a part of. And they they provide across the nation a little less than 60% of the, the blood supply. And then there's some um, uh, smaller private companies, I think, that make up the remainder. But in Idaho, from from our limited understanding at this point, there's sort of two two major providers in the state of blood uh, blood products. So we are convening another um, conversation and expanding that group to include additional hospitals, large and small, um, geographic representation. We've been talking to our federal partners. We're bringing um, both blood suppliers to the conversation to better understand how we might be able to support even the local blood drive, drive efforts, for example, or can we use our medical reserve core or other staffing supports to help them increase their blood processing, blood transportation, and things like that? Um, and so we're we're kind of just kind of dipping our toes into this right now. But it's a it's a you know one of our number one priorities right now to to really understand it and figure out what we can do. Dr. Stephen Nemerson of St. Alphonsus in Boise described how the shortages will affect both non-emergent surgeries and procedures, as well as trauma and emergency care. That's the concern is that if the supply is limited and we continue to delay cases that may be predicted to have a need for a blood transfusion, um, we can reach that limit very quickly of those cases that can be postponed. Uh, We're frankly very close to that point anyway. And then our trauma service, uh, one major trauma 
can require an enormous amount of blood and very quickly go from what seems like a reasonable uh, supply or inventory that we've got to a crisis level of needing to ration immediately. And it's entirely unpredictable. I just want to add one other thing about blood supply um, because I think it really tells the story. So we've already talked a bit about trauma patients, and obviously those are a major concern. We also need to talk about cancer patients and those with blood cancers that require these blood products just to stay alive. And so in the near future, we may need to begin to decrease the frequency with which their own blood inability to produce normal components needs to be corrected or needs to be addressed. We need to begin to ration the amount of blood that we give to those patients. And the last group, and the one that I think really tugs at my heartstrings personally the most, are women who are delivering babies. Well, it doesn't happen often. It does happen where during the labor process, a placental abruption or a detachment of the placenta from the uterus can occur and very rapid bleeding can occur. And so we want to make sure that we've got a good blood supply for every woman that's going to be delivering in case that catastrophe were to happen so that we can resuscitate that woman and keep the baby stable until that baby can be gotten out um, and taken care of adequately. After the call, I spoke to Dr. Walter Kelly of the American Red Cross to find out what's driving the shortage and what the Red Cross is doing on their end to address it. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Kelly. How bad is this shortage? Sure. So uh, this is the only time in the history of, uh, of blood banking that the American Red Cross has declared uh, a blood emergency. That's never happened uh, in, in the history of blood banking, there are physicians uh, that have been in the, the 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 medical office here at the American Red Cross um, for more than two decades, and are senior scientists for more than four decades. And this has never been seen. You would see, you know, a very hyper local um, massive need during, um, you know, th during uh, natural disasters or man-made disasters. Um, but to see something uh, systemic throughout the country has been able to be avoided thus far in this pandemic. And, and this is the only pandemic in, in the history of blood banking, right? So the most, you know, the, the previous pandemic to this, the, the influenza pandemic, blood banking didn't exist. So what's different right now? What are the causes? Sure. So we really are seeing the, the culmination of, you know, of, of a nation that has been fighting COVID now for a long time. So you have a combination of uh, donors not being able to donate, and some of that's because of donor illness, right? So uh, I personally went to donate blood uh, uh, the week of Christmas, and uh, I happened to show up. I had an appointment, but the person in the appointment slot immediately in front of me had called and said, I'm sorry, I can't come in because they had COVID. And so certainly donors are impacted by this. Uh, our staff are also impacted by this. Of course, you know, we do have staff that get sick and, and or have family members that get sick and then they're not able to, to be, be able to, to be available to, to collect blood. And another thing that many people don't think about is that blood drives themselves actually have to be 
shut down. If, if a company is planning to host a blood drive and has a blood drive schedule and you know the, the company has a, a number of employees become ill, they have to say, we can't do this you know, wonderful altruistic thing that many organizations do, which is host a blood drive. And so, for example, the first week of January, there were a thousand units of blood that couldn't be collected because drives were canceled. Um, and, and so those are those are some of the challenges on on, on the donor side. Uh, you know, the other uh, another thing I think that's important to understand is that um, throughout the pandemic and especially through the Delta surge, many people uh, delayed having certain medical procedures, particularly surgical procedures. And uh, unfortunately, if someone has a medical difficulty, for example, if they have a heart valve that's leaky, that leaky heart valve doesn't get better if the surgery is delayed. And so you have people who, who had to have surgeries delayed because of, of the total stress on the system uh, you know, during the Delta wave and, and earlier even. And eventually those procedures have to be done. They, they become, uh, they really be, can become life-threatening. And so uh, you have this uh, change in the demand. And then ultimately, uh, all these things come together in, in the midst of this pandemic. And one of the things that has been uh, challenging for everyone is, is having sufficient staff to do all of the work. And part of that has to do with illness, that has to do with people simply deciding to change uh, their employment. And so the Red Cross has had to put a great deal of effort into retaining staff, and we have, um, but also recruiting new staff. And this is one of the key parts train them. So all of the things that the Red Cross does in terms of blood uh, is, is very regulated by the FDA to ensure the safety of the blood supply. And so it takes quite a bit of time to train staff uh, to, to do those procedures with exactness. You mentioned that this is a nationwide crisis. Are you seeing differences region by region or is it equally bad everywhere? So there are certainly challenges in all places. So um, because I have medical licenses in a lot of states, I, I, I cover for uh, Red Cross physicians in, in a number of places when, when they're not able to, um, to undertake their duties because of, of illness or other demands. And, and so I do have uh, a, a pretty good view, particularly out here in the West where I cover everything <laughs> on occasion. Um, and so the, 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 Lack of availability of blood, this blood emergency, really is impacting everywhere. Um, but the impact is felt differently in different places. You know, when you talk about, you know, for example, uh, a rural Idaho population, um, you know, they're impacted because the hospital may only be able to have, you know, a much smaller amount of blood than they typically do. And the same thing is true at, at a large, you know, hospital in, in, in Boise or Twin Falls. Um, but the uh, a large hospital having a smaller amount of blood still has more blood than a small hospital having a smaller amount of blood. And so there's just there's different challenges. Um, another challenge that I think a lot of people don't always necessarily think about is that many of our uh, community hospitals are having to care for patients that are much more sick than they typically would because the larger hospitals don't have any capacity to accept patients uh, because of because of the pandemic and 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 what's happening in in the in the healthcare setting as a whole, and so now these uh, you know these smaller community hospitals are, are are shouldering a greater burden, 
and unfortunately have to do that in, in the midst of this this crisis of, of, of the blood supply. You mentioned earlier how rescheduled non-emergent procedures like surgeries um, that, that were put off during the Delta wave are adding to that stress for the blood supply. It, but but you, when we think of the need for blood, a lot of times we think of trauma. You know, we, we think of emergencies, but that's not the only thing that blood products are used for. Are there other procedures besides those surgeries that are affected by this critical shortage? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, one of them is childbirth, which we don't tend to think of as an emergency. We tend to think of it as a beautiful thing, and it is, but can very quickly become a, an emergency. And we've had situations, in fact, in, in, in the regions that I cover, we've had situations where uh, women that would typically have been transfused in, in one way had to be transfused in, in emergency uh, in, in a different way that is not as ideal for their long-term uh, uh, for their long-term outcome uh, that that patient was okay, fortunately. Um, but the the reality is that um, we've had uh, challenges with with uh, with dangerous childbirths. We've had challenges even with organ transplantation. Uh, and in fact, there uh, uh, there have been instances where uh, individuals needed to have an organ transplant and the organ was available and it wasn't able to be accomplished because there was not a safe blood supply to be able to do it. And uh, that has not happened in Idaho yet, uh, but in other regions it has. You, you mentioned earlier that Omicron is knocking out donors who otherwise would be donating. I know that I can't donate right now because I recently had a positive test. Uh, but have have there been any discussions about changing rules to allow donations from people who historically haven't been able to donate um, to, to get more donors? And, and I'm thinking, for example, from men who have recently had sex with men. R right now, I think that it's three months. There, there has to be a three-month period between the last time someone had had intercourse and their donation. Is there any talk about changing that? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing to understand is that uh, with, with a couple of very small exceptions, uh, there are a few states that impose some extra regulations, but uh, Idaho is not one of those. So the, the blood donation process falls under laws and rules that are set by the FDA. And the FDA has been really thoughtful, actually even preceding the pandemic, to try to make sure that those uh, laws and rules that they have uh, are balancing the need to provide a safe blood supply and to not unnecessarily discriminate against individuals. And so specifically uh, for men who've had sex with men, there is an ongoing study right now that the American Red Cross is part of. Uh, unfortunately, Idaho is not one of the sites, but the specific purpose for this is to generate the data to present to the FDA uh, to uh, be able to remove that, uh, that three-month deferral period and, and to base the, the way that we ask donors really on better science than was available when the when these rules were set into place. Uh, another uh, little one that people might not think about, you may remember a number of years ago now, the Zika virus came through uh, and spread around the world. And we, we test blood donors for Zika virus. Uh, we became required to when that, 
uh, when when that wave came through. Well, the FDA put in place for us to be able to stop doing that. And that's the first time a blood test was required that could ever be stopped. And that may not seem like much because obviously Zika virus, fortunately, is not uh, a big problem here in the United States and particularly uh, in Idaho. But because we're testing it, people would have false positive tests. And then that unit would not be able to be, that unit of the blood wouldn't be able to be used. Um, and so the FDA really has been, I, I think, proactive, uh, which is a good thing, uh, in, in, in trying to make sure that the things that are not actually increasing the safety of the blood supply aren't standing in the way of people who are, are, are healthy and, and, and want to be able to, to participate in the, the wonderful altruism of blood donation. We've talked about so many challenges facing the Red Cross right now. What are you doing to increase these donations in the short term? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the American Red Cross is always fortunate to have many community partners come together and help us to, to provide blood to, to the community. Uh, we, we can't do it in isolation. Um, there's always uh, fun little uh, giveaways and T-shirts and donuts and, and, and all sorts of little things like that. Uh, I, I think the, the, the big thing at the moment that people are a little bit excited about is the Super Bowl. Um, and there's a, there's a little... Uh, you know, a little giveaway associated with that. Um, but the real thing that the Red Cross is doing is is strengthening our partnership with our communities to make sure that, for example, and, and this is something that uh, that the people in Idaho are so wonderful at doing, is we have community organizations, church groups, schools that will not just organize a blood drive, but that will be on standby so that if you know one company has to say, we can't do this, um, that there's some that there's another organization to to step in and and provide a, a space for that blood donation collection event to happen, and hosting those blood drives is is such an important thing, and and so many community groups are are partnering with us, and and we're always happy to to talk to our groups to to increase that. Um, one of the things that that I think is important for individuals to know is that because there is this dynamic make change, they may go on the Red Cross blood donor app, which is a great way to, to schedule your blood uh, donation appointment. They may go on today and not see anything available for the next few days that, that's convenient for their work schedule and where they happen to live. They may check back the next day. And because a blood drive had to be added or canceled, there may be appointments that are now convenient for them. And so I do really encourage people to, 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 to check back. If there's nothing convenient now, check back tomorrow or the next day and, and, and find one. Another thing that the Red Cross is really um, committed to and, and, and put resource behind is uh, attracting and retaining staff. And I think that's very important. Uh, people that work at the Red Cross tend to be very mission-driven, and, and that's important. Um, you know, but the Red Cross has, has made the commitment to, to, to provide uh, the financial benefit that, that people need. I mean, workers deserve... Uh, a wage that they can support themselves with and the Red Cross is, is part of that movement. All right, Dr. Walter Kelly, Divisional Medical Officer for the American Red Cross for the Lewis and Clark and Arizona regions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Reports podcast. Subscribe for new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can find episodes of our Friday broadcast show on our website at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. And while you're there, sign up for our newsletter to get a roundup of our work delivered straight to your inbox every Friday morning. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates throughout the week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.